You're very welcome along. It's the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio and it is Saturday morning. Porrick, good morning good to morning, you. Good morning, good morning. How, How are you? you? you came, did you bring the brolly this morning? I did, yeah. yeah. It's a little bit showery. I'm sure it? you're not a bit sorry to see a bit of rain. Ah, no, it's nice to see it. You can't beat the natural rain, definitely. Plants have been looking for it and the soil has been looking for it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, and, and the weather isn't to be too bad. I, I, I did hear you mention frost, so people should just maybe keep an eye for yeah, that. Yeah, there was well. some discussion yesterday about snow on Monday, but I don't know what the story is. On I don't that. think it's going to be that bad, yeah, but yeah. certainly the, those cooler northerly temperatures um, would affect certainly tender plants, so bedding plants and tomato plants and those. And I think I mentioned that last week as well. Just when the frost still knocks about till about the first or second week of May, mm. so it's just to be a little bit cautious with with softer plants. But planting the soil conditions are great at the moment. That bit of rainfall is very welcomed and in particular if listeners haven't say fed their garden plants say their their hedges and their roses and their trees and shrubs this sort of weather when you get the rainfall and a couple of showers is ideal because the growth has started we can all see that things are beginning to green up lovely Mm. at the moment so plants are going to naturally need some nutrition so if you've got your yellow laurel hedge or you've got your roses that you've just pruned back and they're just beginning to grow this is the absolute ideal time to putting on fertilizers because i mentioned before a couple of weeks back plants tend to grow vigorously for at the end of April right through May and June and then slow down after that. So the key time for feeding plants in general, say your hydrangeas or your garden shrubs or you just want to give the trees a little bit of a a pep Mm. up, then this sort of weather when you get the moisture and the heat together makes the perfect conditions for feeding plants in general. It's also perfect at the moment for sowing seed. So if you have flower seed that you want to sow out of doors, say Mm. things like candy tuft or English marigolds or those hardy annual plants, the soil conditions are perfect because the heat that has been generated over the last two or three weeks is still in the soil. Soil, average soil temperatures are at least three to four, maybe six degrees above average at the moment. So the it's like a radiator it's like right. a storage heater okay. the soil is actually very very warm at the moment so even though we're going to get like to lower temperatures now no. over the weekend the 7, 8, 9, 10 degrees it doesn't make any difference because like a storage heater the ground, the ground actually is warmed absorbed. up already yeah. so it'll actually take it would take a week of constant cold temperatures and heavy rain to actually get rid of that temperature so when you've got those high temperatures in the soil combined with the moisture that we've got today and, and tomorrow and the next couple of days it's the perfect conditions it's like putting seeds into a heated propagator where you've got heat underneath right. in, the, in the soil you've got com- you've got uh, moisture in the compost sure it's perfect conditions for so soil so you couldn't seed. ask for any you better you couldn't ask for anything better so vegetable seed herb seed things like parsnips carrots all the vegetable seeds um, and flower seeds sweet peas and nasturtiums and all of those if you want sow some seed then my recommendation is get them in this weekend and the frost won't have any effect on them whatsoever and also just good planting conditions for putting in vegetable plants in general if you haven't got your seed potatoes into the ground get them in this weekend if you can so those the combination of moisture and heat in the soil is really going to see very active growth um, and particularly for plants that are germinating now we had a very interesting night on thursday night uh, we'd have, I, I gave a talk in the garden centre and it was a beautiful evening. We, we started at seven o'clock um, and, you know, I, I was saying to the group that came along that it, I was asking them what, what were they doing, first of all, coming down to the garden centre at seven o'clock. It was such a beautiful evening, they should have been out gardening. But we had a great crowd all the same and uh, some very interesting questions. And uh, I actually recorded, I had a lady called Martina that came along yes. and she was interested in climbing plants. So I thought she wasn't shy. 
No, so, she's a very, very I, good speaker, I have to say. I, so I asked her to um, to ask her question just and I recorded it. So, I, you know, just, and gave her some answers. I was, I was able to show her the plants and explain the plants, which is uh, kind of a little bit more difficult to do in the studio. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes. OK. <laughs> so listen to this. It just gives people an idea, particularly if you're, if you're thinking of putting climbing plants in. And her question, I think, was around covering a garage wall. She didn't want to paint the wall. So what was the solutions that she could use? So I kind of brought it through some options. OK, here's Martina. Welcome to Hawkins. We're just after having our customer night and I'm joined by Martina, one of the participants. Martina, how are you? Do you I'm enjoy, good. Do you enjoy the talk? Very good, very informative, thoroughly enjoyed it. But I have just one quick question for you. Okay. Um, I have a garden wall that's rough and edge and I don't want to paint it. I'm just wondering, would you have any climbers that you could recommend to me? Um, preferably ones that flower. Okay, and is it, when you say a garden wall, is it a... Is it a house wall, a shed wall, just a garden wall? And what height is it? It's a shed wall and it would be about eight foot. About eight feet in height, yeah, yeah. Well, perfect. Well, look at the first thing to start with, with any climbing plant, the important thing is to do the soil, prepare the soil very well. Because what, the plant... The, what kind of soil would you recommend or how would I prepare it that it is? be okay for the climbers? Well, most climbers will grow in ordinary garden soil, but it is advisable to, to add some nutrition to the soil. So a good quality compost mixed with something like Color Boost or Super Grow, one of the fertilizers to mix through the compost when you're planting it. Because however well the plants grow is determined by the type of soil they go into. And often at the base of the wall, you might have a small bit of foundation. So it's good to keep the plant at least six to eight inches out from the base of the wall. Okay, the first plant I'm going to show you is a plant called Hedra or Ivies. These are the variegated Ivies. And there's some very nice varieties. First of all, they retain the leaf all year round, which is great. Okay. It'll save you the need to have to paint the wall at any stage. Um, so they give year round color. But the other nice thing is that they actually adhere to the wall themselves. So they self cling against the wall. And there's varieties like Gold Heart, which as the name suggests, has that nice yellow splash in the center of the leaf, dark okay. outer leaf. You've also got Gold Child, which again has very bright butter yellow foliage. And again, it retains that foliage all year round. And you can okay. see on this plant how the young growth is a nice butter yellow color and the older growth uh, changes to a darker, darker green uh, with a light, lighter splash of yellow. So any of the ivy families would be really good. And could you mix the ivies on the wall or would that... You can mix the colors if you wish, but you're generally better to stick to the one type. So go for um, Hedra Gold Heart or Gold Child and put maybe five or six plants, spacing them about two feet apart. Okay. Um, it tends to look better. Now you can mix them if you want. Some of the larger leaf varieties, so this is one called Gloria de Maringo, which is a very large leafed ivy. Again, very nice colors, variegated colors. Again, very, very easy to grow. And um, very fast growing as well, that particular variety. But ivy gives you kind of year round color, adheres to the wall itself, is easy to grow and um, needs a kind of a trimming maybe once every couple of years just to keep it tidy. Okay. Now, if you wanted something maybe a little bit faster growing, you've got a, a plant here called Cisistriata, or it's called the Evergreen Virginia Creeper. That's a very creeper. nice one. Yeah, it's a lovely deep green color. Um, it produces growth of about five to six feet per year. So it's very rapid, very fast growing. Um, it, it needs some support, so a little bit of wire or trellis on the wall, and it just scrambles up along the wall. Okay. So you've got the dark green foliage at this time of year, 
the young bronze leaf, that's the young growth that comes on the plant. And then in winter, it's called the evergreen Virginia creeper because in autumn and early winter, you get this lovely red or plum colour in the leaf. Okay. So it's quite a nice plant as well. well. That red there, that's what you can see through there. Yeah, it's very similar to that red, even deeper. It, as oh, we go into winter and the weather gets colder, it really takes on a um, nice purple hue or red hue through the winter. But it retains the foliage all okay. year round. So you so get that's, the Christmas look for Christmas. You do. It's a nice yeah. Christmas colour. It's a nice seasonal colour. The lovely green colour at this time of year and then the lovely autumn colour as we come into winter. But it retains the foliage. That's the important okay. thing. Yeah. And it's also very vigorous. If you've got an eight-foot wall, this will cover it within two or three years. Okay. It's that vigorous. Now, you mentioned plants that would flower. Yeah. And there's a number of plants along here. This is the hydrangea. It's actually the yeah. climbing hydrangea. Okay. So it's in the same family as the normal mophead hydrangea, but it's a, it's a climbing version. And again, like the ivy, it self-clings to the wall itself. So as long as you pin it against the wall initially, it'll actually start to feel the wall and root onto the wall and scramble up along it. Okay. And it follows the shape of the wall. It's a white flowering plant, so lovely white flowers in early summer. And again, the foliage is on the plant now. You can see the lovely bright apple yeah. green leaves. Um, and they'll stay on till certainly November of this year. And would you need the irrigation compost for this particular hydrangea? No, no, it'll grow in ordinary garden soil, but you do prepare the soil exactly the same as the other climbers, okay. putting plenty of compost in, plenty of fertilizer in initially. And the other key tip is when planting them, you often buy them, they're on the canes, as you can see there, on a bamboo cane. Yeah. But you really need to take them off the cane spread them left and right on the wall as low down as possible okay. clip them on a few electrician clips and once the plant gets the feel of the wall it'll scramble up along it it'll actually adhere to the wall itself so you take the canes out completely when you're take putting the, them on absolutely and you'll okay. often see on houses where people don't do that and they plant them with the canes on and you end up with a gap between the plants right so if you want nice full foliage right from ground level it's important to spread the branches left and right clip them on and away they go now, mentioning climbing plants or, or flowering plants, once you've got the ivies or the climbing hydrangea established on the wall, you could introduce some flowering climbers like clematis. So these are different varieties um, that will flower. Some are coming into flower at the moment, particularly the Montana varieties, Montana rubens and Montana grandiflora, which is a large flowering uh, Montana variety. They flower at this time of year. You can see the flower buds coming on them already. Yeah. And they'll flower over the next couple of weeks right up to early summer. And that's quite a vigorous variety of clematis if you want something very fast growing. Yeah. For summer colour, there are other varieties. That's Hannah, which is a, a nice double pink variety. This is one called Dr. Rupel. It's a two-tone variety. Oh, nice big fat. flowers. Nearly the size of a saucer. And again, very, very easy to grow. So if you've got established climbers or even a hedge and you want to add a bit of colour to it, again, that variety, Dr. Rupel, they're actually they're some flower bulbs. Colours, yeah. yeah. See the flower bulbs starting already and they'll yeah. actually go on all summer. Um, they are lovely. So really nice. You can see the Montanas here just beginning to flower, the lovely pinks, Clematis yeah, Montana. And very vigorous, very, very fast growing. The other climber you could use are honeysuckles. They're just up right. here at the end of the bench. They're really nice and, mm. and they're scented. So again, if you had a garden arch or a wall with existing climbers or you want to introduce a climber, say, up through a hedge, then right. the honeysuckles are really good. And uh, nice foliage, quite fast growing. They need their twining plants and they need the support of other plants or trellis work or wires. Okay. But once they get the feel of, a, of another plant or a hedge or a branch, they'll scramble up through it. Okay. And again, there's different varieties. Um, 
with, with different nice colours. colours yeah. yeah, Belgica is quite a nice one. It's got um, red and orange flowers, which is a really good variety. It's an old variety and uh, it's highly scented. And quite a nice variety is one called Gold Flame. It's a two-tone flower colour. Again, highly scented, very, very easy to the grow. The Gold Flame looks beautiful, the colours. It's a nice variety of honeysuckle. Yeah. The last plant that you can also use is the Everlasting Sweet Pea. Oh, right. And that's been very popular um, and it comes in shades of pinks and whites. Okay. Um, but again, very fast growing. As the name suggests, it's everlasting, which means if you plant it this year, it'll flower this summer, but it'll flower every year after that. And does it go dormant planting. in the winter or it, just... Uh, it does die back in the winter. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to introduce it through other climbers like the uh, ivies we looked at, like pyracantha, like the climbing hydrangea for a bit of colour. Or indeed you can use it up against trellis work in its own right. Or you can put it up through a hedge or up through a shrub, or if you had maybe a dead conifer in the garden, you could plant it at the base of it and it'd scramble up through it. Okay. And this year, that particular everlasting sweet pea will grow to about eight feet in height. So oh, they're right. quite vigorous and quite fast growing. And will come into flower from about the middle of June, early July, and flower through till October. Oh, yeah, so it's really a good time to put climbers in the garden. Yeah. Remember, the soil preparation is very important. So yeah. put in the compost, put in the slow-release fertiliser. What slow-release fertiliser would you recommend? Well, you can use... There's a very good one um, that Westland make called Grow, Grow Sure. Okay. And you just mix that in the compost and about a handful for each plant okay. and that'll keep them going for the season. And that's really it. Keep them well watered because sometimes at the base of the wall it can get quite dry. And then but to feed them though once they've gone into the ground, how often would I feed you them? You could give them a couple of liquid feeds. Something okay. like the liquid one would be ideal. Okay. Um, maybe once a month. That's all they're going to okay. need. And really just encourage them up through a trellis work or as they're growing along, just clip them on until they get a feel of the wall and off they'll go. Yeah. That'll save you having to paint. I'll just think of that. <laughs> just think of I won't have to paint. I just have loads of green and colour. It'll be beautiful. Well, th thanks a million for your question. It's a no, good one. No, thanks a million. It was great. Um, you enjoyed the evening? Thoroughly enjoyed it. Good. good great, good. great. Um, great well, advice now. Well, put all that good advice into action. Exactly. Well, and hopefully the weather will stay the way it is. Thanks, Martina. No problem, Park. Thanks very much. A very happy uh, person there and uh, off to put it all into practice. And you have more uh, information talks coming up this week. I have. Week. I'm yeah. actually going to your... You're in my own neck of the woods. I'm going to your, <laughs> go your country on Monday evening. I'm going up to Angela and the team there in the uh, Roscommon Gardening Club. So we're, I'm giving you a talk at 8 o'clock in the Abbey Hotel very good. this Monday. So I'm going to be covering things like... Um, edible plants to grow this time of year, some herbs, uh, fruit trees, hanging baskets and window boxes, how to prune plants and how to feed plants and those things that you can do at the moment. And I'm also going to feature 10 of the best plants for 2015. Ooh, that sounds oh, Doesn't that sound tempting? It does. So I'm in, I'm in Roscommon, yeah, in the Abbey Hotel this this Monday at, at 8pm. And Swinford as well, did you say? Yeah, the Swinford Gardening Club are actually coming to the garden centre on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday at half seven. And uh, Roy has asked me to invite people uh, from the Castle Bar, Swinford, Charlestown area to come along on the night. So that's going to be in, in our own garden centre on this Tuesday at half seven. Um, and again, I'm going to give a talk on, on similar talk to that I'm actually going to, I'm going to repeat myself uh, after uh, on, on, Thursday, on Tuesday night. So that's this Tuesday night, 7.30 in the Garden Centre in Turlock. It's an open free night for people to come along and the garden, the Swinford Gardening Club members will be there and they'll be imparting their advice as well and hints and tips. So, Roscommon, Monday, night, yeah. and that's at 8 o'clock eight, eight in, in the Abbey Hotel and uh, on Tuesday then at 7.30 in our own garden centre in Turlock um, and again, uh, it's a free night and people can come along and uh, enjoy. Excellent.
Excellent, excellent. Okay, we're so going busy, 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 busy is right. Uh, we are going to take a break. There's a lot of busy. Speaking of busy, there's loads of questions in. Okay. Uh, good variety as well. Keep them coming. It's oh eight seven nine hundred forty one forty one. If you're texting us or if you're phoning, and Teresa is with us this morning. It's oh eight one eight three thousand fifty five. You're very welcome back now. Host of questions, Pork. We're going to delve straight in and controlling weeds uh, mm. is a bit of a common theme today. Different kinds. I know that's coming up on questions. What is the best you to use controlling weeds on a gravel and patio area? Something that will last. <laughs> well, for, for non-crop area, for gravel beds or uh, pathways, tarmacadam, patio slabs, that those sort of areas where you're not actually going to be planting anything. Mm. You're looking for a weed killer that has a combination a, a one weed killer that will kill the weeds that are currently there and the other that, that um, prevents weeds from growing. There's, and there's quite a number on the market. Probably a very good one if you have a big area to cover is one called Destrol. D-E-S-T-R-O-L. It's a liquid. You mix it in the watering can. You apply it to the area. It kills any young weeds that are starting. And more importantly, it'll stop weeds for the rest of the summer. So Destrol, it's it's um, widely available, easy to use. Ideally, you can put it on in this sort of weather. The, the actual wet weather won't make a whole lot of difference, but um, put it on the next couple of days and it'll work away. Very good. Now, uh, roses. Uh, Joe in Kalala has cut back some of his roses and has fed them, but there's still no sign of growth. Um, And he's got a second question then relating to lettuce and tomato, which has been grown from seed inside, grew to three centimetres and then kind of stopped not thriving since. Okay, so So, nothing nothing growing in Kalala. Yeah, roses and and seeds. Well, look, he did the right thing in pruning the roses back. And for listeners that haven't pruned their roses, uh, people often think because there's some new growth starting it's too late but really if you haven't pruned your rose plants then get out and prune them back and that was one of the messages I was making on Thursday night so get out there and cut them back and when we prune we feed so Joe has done exactly the right thing look just give it another week or 10 days with the sort of heat and moisture now you should see that fertiliser first of all being washed in um, because fertiliser that that has been applied in the last two weeks has literally just sat on the surface of the soil so this bit of rain will wash that in it'll encourage the roses to reshoot and you should see some significant significant growth this week or in the next 10 days um, so you know a little bit of patience I think with them but he's done exactly the right thing in terms of the, the lettuce and, and tomatoes mm. was it in terms of the seedlings I would transplant those plants even though they're only three centimeters now into uh, separate them out of the seed trays now into individual pots or into other trays, space them about an inch apart and the key thing with young seedlings is not to have them too wet people often give them too much moisture, right. allow the surface of the compost to dry out because the plants are still very, very small. So transplant them into fresh potting compost, put the, keep them on, on a warm windowsill or a greenhouse or a conservatory area at the moment and uh, just space them about you know an inch apart in good quality compost, not to have the compost too moist, too wet, allow it to dry out slightly between watering. The plants will re-root and, and shoot again. Right. So they'll be fine, they'll come on fine. Now, any weed killer for bindweed, it's growing through plants and shrubs. Well, bindweed is is that convolvulus, which is, um, it grows like, I suppose, like uh, fast-growing ivy. It it's literally scrambles up through plants, particularly through hedging plants. It's a herbaceous plant, so it dies away in the winter and it's invisible for the winter, but it comes back at this time of year, and particularly when we get significant growth. Really, the best way to treat it, if you cannot isolate it, so if it's growing through other plants, the best thing to use is something like the Roundup Gel, which is simply just like a gel, it's it's wiped onto the leaf of the convolvulus as it's growing. And that brings the, the treatment back into the root and kills it off. It's pointless digging it because it the root is very, it's a thick, fleshy root. Mm. And as it breaks, 
it, you, you're actually propagating the plant. So really you do need one of the treatments. So the Roundup gel is probably the most effective, particularly where it's growing through other plants. So it's a matter, as it's continuing to grow, to just wipe the leaf with a little bit of the Roundup gel and that will kill it back. Excellent. Now, a listener, Mary, Marie, uh, or Mary, I'm not too sure, has a trellis on a post and rail fence facing south, but exposed. Okay, so she's wondering, can she sow clematis or mandii or avalanche, and will they flower at the same time? Well, the concern I would have with with with, with um, clematis or mandii uh, and avalanche in particular is that the clematis aren't particularly good in exposed gardens. They're, they're, they'll do a whole lot better. Amandii, for example, is an evergreen variety of clematis. It's got long, leathery leaves and beautiful white flowers. Mm. Lovely, lovely plant, but it needs shelter and needs protection. So I would put something a little bit more robust, to be honest, on an exposed area like that. You have got uh, clematis rubens, which is a very fast-growing variety of, of Montana rubens. It's a far more vigorous and hardier variety than avalanche or um, the, the Armandii. Um, so I would keep both of those for more sheltered, protected areas. South facing is perfect, but they do need the shelter because the foliage in the winter is just going to be damaged through the winter period. So go for more hardier climbers. Um, Clematis Montana Rubens was excellent. There's also another variety called Grandiflora. Some of the honeysuckle varieties would be quite tough as well. Some of the old rambling roses would be better. So go for for climbers that will take the wind and uh, and are more wind tolerant than some of the more um, ornamental oh, clematis the more varieties. Delicate ones, yeah, yeah and, and that clematis armandii um, I would put in a more sheltered spot maybe at the front of the house or mm. somewhere that's got a little bit more protection. Lovely. Now here's an interesting question from Jane. She's got a large terracotta pot and would love to grow something in it wondering would an apple tree grow in it or is she being a bit ambitious? No not at all <laughs> not at all. Um, terrac- large terracotta pot is perfect for, for many many plants so if you want to put in an apple tree go for the family apple tree so go for one of the coronet varieties which is a dwarf apple tree in, in a terracotta pot it will only grow to about six feet uh, maybe seven feet maximum and if you go for the family tree you got two different varieties of apple grafted onto the one tree. So you may have a variety like James Grieve, which is a beautiful eating apple, mixed with Katie, which is a red apple, uh, an excellent eating variety as well. And both of those are compatible. They'll cross-pollinate in the one pot and produce two sets of apples off the one tree. So if it's a large terracotta pot, get a good quality compost, mix some slow-release fertiliser through that, put in your family apple tree now and surround it with some strawberries. So get maybe six or eight strawberry plants as well and plant them around the base of the stem. So you'd have strawberries fruit flowering and fruiting right at the very top of the pot and then you'd have your apple tree right in the centre. So you're getting, you're making best use of the entire pot then. And, and strawberries do so well in terracotta pots because the fruit hangs over the edge of the pot. The sun helps to ripen it quicker and slugs and snails and so on tend not to be as as much a pest because they're up off the ground. So that's it. I would put the family apple tree, look for the coronet range. They're particularly good. They're Irish bred, they're Irish grown and they'll actually fruit this year. If you plant them today, you'll have fruit on them by July or August of this year and surround those then with about six or seven strawberry plants as well. Best of luck with that, Jane. Sounds like a good good project. And it's easy to do. I mean, both of those plants, get the kids involved as well, you know, and you're going to see fruit this year from from both the strawberries and the apples. Now, Porik, a few hydrangea questions, so I'll try and club these together. Yes, our old favourite. Can you plant hydrangea slips at this time of the year? And there's kind of a double header on this question as well. Can you put grass cuttings on a shrub bed or would it lead to grass growing in the bed? Well, first of all, it's the time to prune back hydrangeas if you haven't pruned them yet. And and the pruning of hydrangeas consists of cutting away the flowering stems from last year. Um, So those old 
flower seed heads, you follow them back and you cut them out. The other key thing with hydrangeas is to feed them at this time of year. Now, going back to the question, the cuttings really don't take at this time of year. If you're taking cuttings off hydrangeas, I would leave it till July or early August and take this year's growth. Nice young shoots, pencil thickness, pencil length, strip off the leaves, dip them into rooting powder and put them into a pot and cover with a, co- a polythene bag. And in July and August, you'll find that they'll root an awful lot easier than at this time of year. They tend to dry up and shrivel at this time of year or the wood is, is still too hard as well for the um, for the cutting to root. Yeah. So leave it to July, early August. You'll find that they'll propagate very, very simply then at that time of the year. And generally when we're back on the radio in July, uh, or, or, or no it's actually October don't I, I take a break in July <laughs> so by the end of June I'll remind people right. how to take cuttings from hydrangeas um, at that time of year and even coming into the autumn is an excellent time to take cuttings as well so really at this time of year it's a matter of pruning them tidying them up, feeding them and uh, waiting for the new growth to come for this okay. year. Okay, uh, let's talk about feeding because somebody else has a question about that. What do they need to feed <clears throat> their hydrangeas with? Well, hydrangeas are hungry feeders, so they put on a, a lot of growth and, and those big blousy flowers. So you need a high potash feed. So something like Colour Boost is excellent for hydrangeas. An old plant, maybe a five or six year old plant, would want two to three handfuls. And again, as I mentioned at the start of the programme, this sort of weather at the moment is ideal for putting on fertilisers in general. So a good, a good rose feed or something like Colour Boost on hydrangeas now will boost them up. up. And feed them again maybe in five or six weeks' time, you know, to really keep them moving. Keep them moving. And here's an interesting one from the Ackle area. Um, Somebody's wondering, will carpet roses survive 300 metres from the sea in Ackle? And if they would, when should they plant them? Okay, well, look at carpet roses are extremely hardy and very tough. Mm. Now, look at 300 metres from the sea, it's going to be getting... It's pretty exposed by the sound of things. And uh, like carpet roses actually do very well in coastal areas and they're great because they're low growing. Uh, they tend to have a very glossy leaf, so the wind does, doesn't do them too much damage. Um, and they're also pest, or they're disease resistant. They will get an odd bit of green fly like any rose um, and tend to be relatively trouble free. But that close to the seaside is going to have a negative effect on them. Mm-hmm. So the gar- if the garden has some protection, some shelter, maybe some hedging or some plants to give, offer some shelter, shelter then yes, they do, will do very well in coastal areas. But if it's right out onto the Atlantic Sea with 300 metres, then I would advise putting in some shelter first, get maybe a nice um, Iliagnus hedge or something in to give you some shelter and, and create a, bit, a little bit of wind barrier before putting in the roses. Okay. But they are tough and they are hardy and... Um, but, you know, in, in that level of exposure, you're really going to... Give them a small bit of help if you exactly. have. Exactly. Right. The more bit of protection, and really in seaside areas, that's the key thing to get. If you if you can create a small microclimate by creating barriers to the wind and to the salt, then the variety of plants you can grow is just huge because it's such a, a mild climate. You relatively, you don't get any late frosts. There's such a broad spectrum of plants you can grow, but the, providing the shelter initially is the critical part of that. Now, I got an everlasting sweet pea that you spoke about last week, and okay. I'm just wondering, do I need to take it off the canes before I plant it? Yeah, as I mentioned with Martina, that applies to all climbing plants. People often plant them, because when you buy a climbing mm. plant, it's generally on a and little trellis yeah. work or bamboos, and people tend to plant them and just leave them. But the problem is that they get very bare and gappy at the base. So when you when you plant a climbing plant, be it clematis or everlasting sweet pea or any climbing plant, you need to take it off the canes, spread it left and right. And um, as I mentioned Thursday night, I showed the the the, uh, the group how to pinch back the end shoots to get them to branch out and bush out, and then and then you get more flowers on them. So certainly plant the everlasting sweet pea, spread it left and right 
on, on a piece of trellis or wire as low down to ground level as possible. So the branches are literally horizontal to the ground in and, and tied into the trellis mm. work. And then you get lots of vertical growth from that. So your sweet pea will have foliage from ground level right up to six or eight feet. Okay, question on lawns um, and lawn seed in particular. Listener looking for lawn seed uh, that's E, well, where the lawn will end up being easy to manage and they're also wondering do they need to feed their lawns? Well if, if they're sowing a new lawn mm. the first thing you do is obviously eliminate any weeds or grass or rubbish that might be there till the soil and then put in uh, a pre-seeding lawn fertiliser which is good because if you put that on before you seed it it's going to be available to the young grass as it germinates so something like park and fairway mix that into the soil before you seed now you can, you can actually do it on the same day and this sort of weather again is going to be great for sowing lawns because you've got the moisture and the heat in the soil if you want an easy to grow grass seed is sold as different blends so you, so a really good variety is one called green velvet, which is a mixture of creeping grasses. Mm-hmm. So they're low growing, uh, they're hardy, so they're ideal for pets and kids and ch- children to play on, but they tend not to grow too high. So if you're away for a fortnight's holiday and you come back, the grass isn't it's six, not six inches. Exactly. So that's a good variety of uh, green velvet. Um, it gives a, a hard-wearing lawn perfect for general utility use but at the same time doesn't grow too tends to be predominantly creeping and dwarf grasses and it's a very good mix and the perfect time for getting it on and when you do sow the seed then do you have to what about feeding or is it all kind of part of the mix well that's as I said I'd put in the pre-seeding fertiliser first and then rake that in then put on your lawn seed rake it in and that's the job done you stand back you don't have to do anything then not at all the next thing is the lawnmower Right. Oh, uh, here's an interesting one. A listener has an old dead tree. They think it's an ash. Is, is there? They're wondering: is there a climbing plant to grow up this tree and cover it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll go for something that's going to be. I'm presuming it's a it's a mature tree. Mm. So you want something quite vigorous. Wisteria would be very good. The fast growing wisterias that put on six or seven feet of growth per year. Um, the average green Virginia creeper that I talked to Martina about is quite a vigorous plant as well. If you want something with foliage color, you can often combine a number of different climbing plants together just to extend the flowering period. Wisteria flowers early in the year, May, early June sort of period. Um, Clematis montana rubens that I mentioned again is a very, very vigorous climbing plant and would be perfect for early spring colour. Um, and then maybe some of the honeysuckles for summer colour or that ever, evergreen Virginia creeper just give foliage colour would be quite a good choice as well. So maybe a, a combination of a different couple of different plants. Nice and they'll use the ash like a trellis work yeah. you know they'll literally wrap on or root on to it and up they'll go even some of the ivies if you wanted to clad it in a variegated ivy you could use that Gloria de Maringo that I mentioned is a quite a good variety or gold heart gold child and they'll give evergreen like ivy growing on a, a standard, standard. Uh, ash tree yeah. um, you know any of those will actually root on to the dead wood and scramble up through it Okay great Steve lots of there and ah, I, there's plenty and I, a good yeah. time to put climbers in to plant them Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, We still have lots of questions to come. Okay, you're welcome back now, Porik. Actually, a couple of questions on the email. Sorry, forgot about that. Right. Uh, Let's talk about uh, cord line first. I have two cord lines in big pots and I put them under cover for the winter. Um, I have them out about a month and the leaves at the stem have all turned brown. I think they're dying and they're wondering if you would know of anything that could, they could do to bring them back to life there. The pink variety, okay. uh, they usually pull off the, the, the stems when they're brown. It's yeah, well, and cord lines jerry. do. Cord line, of course, are those tropical type mm. palms. Generally, you see them in the in the, uh, the cord line australis, the ordinary common one with the green foliage. But there are many different variegated forms and red leaf forms, which are not as hardy as the 
uh, ordinary cord line, the ordinary common variety. What what it's picking up there is just is just really down to the weather conditions. It's been protected for the winter, so it's been cocooned inside, of course, in a protected area for the winter. It's brought out for the last couple of weeks, even with the, the very good weather. You, you're seeing a little bit of weather damage on the plant. And cord lines tend to produce their young leaves right from the centre, pushing out the older leaves, and they naturally go brown. So take all those brown leaves off the stem itself, mm-hmm. trim those off with a standing knife and tidy it up and give the plant a, a good liquid feed. Because they're in pots, a liquid feed would be ideal. So something like uh, liquid one or um, even miracle Grow would be fine to mix in a watering can and pour on the base of the cord line. They really haven't come into growth yet. There's no new growth on cord lines just yet. It normally starts about the middle of May and June. So it's a perfect time to start feeding them now before the growth starts. And they will come back. They will produce plenty of new growth from the centre and it'll push out that damaged foliage. So don't worry about them. Really just start feeding them now. Feed them about every three weeks at this time of year up till about the middle of June and they'll be fine. They'll be... Perfect. Lovely. Now, a question from Bernadette as well. She's got two lovely weeping cherry trees given to her by her equally lovely neighbours. It's nice to have good okay. neighbours. Um, and she, they've sprouted a bush of straight up unruly straggly branches on the top of each this year. And so she's wondering uh, if and how she should cut them back okay. and indeed stop regrowth if possible. Right. And, and weeping cherries, when you buy a weeping cherry or a weeping willow, there are two plants that have been grafted together or welded together. So in essence, you're actually buying two plants. Um, and the grafting point generally occurs right at the very top of the stem. So the weeping part is one one variety of cherry and the actual main stem is a different variety. And what the listener is seeing is that that stem, that, that what we call that the rootstock, rootstock yeah. producing an upright stem. So where you see on weeping willows or weeping cherries, this vertical growth, this straight up growth, generally the foliage, the leaf is a different shape to the, the variety that you like, the weeping variety. And where you see that, you need to prune those uh, sprouts back right to the stem. So follow the stem right back, that vertical stem, follow it right back to the main stem and just cut it out with a sharp secateurs. And that will encourage all the energy to go into the weeping part of the tree because mm. left untreated, that the it's upright go straight up. exactly, and the roots start, and you'll end up with this mix of a, an upright and a stra- semi weeping. Sort of yeah, tree. and often the upright variety produces white flowers, and the pink variety, the weeping variety, okay. depending on the variety, obviously produces the weeping part produces pink flowers. You get this. People don't know what's going on, but it's actually where the graft is beginning to take over and become more dominant, Gosh. and that happens on weeping willows. Apples. Uh, it can happen on apples and grafted to, uh, standard roses. Uh, weeping cherries, any plant that has been grafted, you run the risk of it being of producing a sprout. So when you see that upright growth, this is a great time to actually cut that back, tidy it up, give the cherry a bit of a feed and off it goes. And is that a task you'd have to do annually? It's or? something you should keep an eye on every, you know, every couple of months. Just keep an eye on the stem and if you see a young shoot coming off the stem, Nibble. rub it out. Yeah, right. just let it rub. Don't let it become a problem. Actually just rub it out with your hand. It'll rub off. Uh, just, you know, when the sprouts are only two or three yeah. inches long, that's the easiest time to do it but do keep an eye out for it. Great. Now, a listener has a large greenhouse with early potatoes and tomatoes planted. Great. They're wondering what else can they put into it now? Oh, there's lots of stuff. If it's a big greenhouse, you could consider putting in a peach tree, a nectarine, a grape, if Ooh, you want. You want to be really exotic. <laughs> but if you want to kind of, uh, you know, something for this season to fruit this season, strawberries would be great to put them back in now into, in, and they'll fruit early. Aubergines, 
um, you know, the, the lovely aubergines is a lovely variety called Black Beauty, which is a really dark black skinned aubergine and, and, and very, very good. Yeah, I, I had the most delicious uh, aubergine puree recently. So, you know, because sometimes you grow these things and then you go, what am I going to do with them? And it was really magic, yeah. I had fried aubergine in Morocco in oh, the autumn. Okay. <laughs> I beat that one, beat that. which was absolutely de- delicious. Because aubergines have this kind of people think that they're very ta- or I tasteless. thought they were tasteless yeah. until I taste them yeah. fried. Oh, they were absolutely delicious. Um, but anyway, there you lots go. To do with aubergines <laughs> if you want to grow them. But chilies, you could have peppers, you could have courgettes, uh, you could put some salad crops in, some lettuce. You know, use the greenhouse really to give yourself an early start. So it's often a good idea to have some lamb's lettuce or ordinary lettuce in the greenhouse growing, and sow some seed outdoors as well. So courgettes, cucumbers cucumbers, aubergines, peppers, chilies. You already have the tomatoes. You've already got the potatoes, strawberries, peaches, nectarines and grapes can all be put in a greenhouse. And you can also use your greenhouse to start off your hanging baskets and your containers to have them early. Plant them up now, stick them in the greenhouse, keep them watered, you'll have them a month ahead of anybody else that plants them normally out of doors. So it's a great way to... If you're a bit concerned, you know, that if temperatures are a bit cool at the minute, uh, that's an ideal way to not, be able to get the job done and not be kind of putting it on the wrong finger. And the the greenhouse is also great for sowing seeds of plants. If you want, say, some spinach or you wanted something to come on a little bit early, you could use greenhouse as well to sow flower and vegetable seeds. So it's really used to kind of bring plants on that just a little bit quicker and faster. Okay, now you've touched on two things there with the next question. Uh, A listener has strawberry plants in a hanging basket, wondering how often should they feed it and with what? Well, not too often is the answer with strawberries because if you feed them too often, particularly at this time of year, you get masses of foliage and leaf rather than flower and fruit. So strawberries are actually, uh, like one application of a liquid feed would be fine, but that's it. You don't feed them really until the fruit starts to to start to form, until the fruit is actually formed on the plant, when the fruit is green. That's the time to start feeding them. And use a high potash feed, so a liquid liquid tomato fertiliser is perfect for strawberries, but don't feed them just yet. They actually do great in, in mixed hanging baskets, so if you've got trailing petunias and other plants, stick a strawberry plant in, because a bit of competition keeps the foliage and the growth on the strawberry back and encourages more flowering and fruiting. So the strawberries actually do well when they're under a little bit of stress from other plants. Whereas if they get too much feed, they you get, get big, lovely big green leaves and no fruit and flowers. Okay. So, but a good time to plant them. List- listeners sowed salad vegetables <clears throat> last week okay. uh, indoors in Great. organic compost mixed with seaweed fertiliser. Right. Now there is a white mould growing on top okay. of the soil. What can they do? Well, that's because of the seaweed fertiliser and you don't need to. When you're sowing seeds, remember, you're, you're, we're dealing with tiny, tiny plants that need minimal amounts of nutrition. So a, a regular organic or seed and potting compost is perfectly okay. All the nutrition is available in that. There's no need to mix any... Uh, other seaweed fertilizers when you're sowing the seeds of plants. It's different when you're planting them onto the next stage. Say you're putting tomato plants into big pots. By all means, add some uh, organic fertilizer then. And really the mould is is just... uh, it's a mould that's growing on the top of the surface of the compost, reacting to the high level of nutrition in the compost. So really, look, just leave it alone. Just cut back on the watering a little bit. It'll help to get rid of the mould. It's not going to do any damage to the seedlings. And once they're strong enough, then transplant them back into single pots or into larger trays and grow them on and they'll be perfectly fine. Great. Bog ground. Is it suitable for sowing potatoes and cabbage plants or any other kind of vegetables? Well, the thing about bog is that you've got pure peat and in pure peat, there's very, very, there's no lime. 
very uh, little nutrition and very value. little nutrition yeah. so as a medium it's excellent particularly for root crops like parsnips carrots any of the root crops they love the peat because it's so open and so so easy to for the root to to penetrate down through so yeah. you get really really long carrot stems or, or parsnip stems or kohlrabi or any of those do very well. Those kind of root crops do very well in peat. But you do need to feed it well. And particularly for plants that love lime, like cauliflower, broccoli, uh, calabrese, uh, cabbages, anything in the, the cabbage family, tur- turnips and suedes, you really do need to add lime to the soil and you need to or- use organic matter or some granulated fertiliser. So as long as the ground is limed and fed, then you can grow uh, vegetables in in peat but left on its own you'll end up with with tiny tiny plants and very disappointing crop you know plenty of farm of manure would be ideal to mix to a into a, a boggy type soil okay but yeah. certain potato varieties like um, golden wonders love that moory peaty soil so if you have that and you feed them well and look after them then you'll have an excellent crop in in uh, peaty ground but on so and no lovely would it be a good time to sow mountain ash and white beam? Yeah, it's an excellent time to actually plant trees in general because they're actually coming into leaf and it's, um, you know, when you're looking at them in, in November and December and they're all, they all look the same, they're all sticks at that time of year, it's very hard to to uh, imagine what the, the trees are going to look like. But this time of year, many trees, the maples, the mountain ash, the white beam, which is a lovely tree, is coming into leaf. So you can see the lovely silver leaves of the uh, white beam. Now, make sure that they're potted trees and as long as they're potted, then it's excellent planting conditions and a great time to put trees in the garden and I, I notice you're getting lots of requests in for confirmation and communion I often think a tree is a great way to mark mm. an occasion like there's a lovely tree called the wedding cake tree that I think we featured last year which I think is a great tree to, to give as a present for weddings or just even to mark a wedding or an occasion because it produces perfect layers beautiful layers exactly like a wedding cake and you'll have it for it makes a tree of about maybe 12 or 15 yeah. feet it's relatively small but a beautifully shaped tree and it's something and kind that of spreads out quite a bit it, it, it does it's low and spreads out it, yeah well yeah. in height it'll grow yeah. 12 15 feet but it has these perfect layers that spread you know you have a gap between them beautiful beautiful yeah, tree with very variegated leaves and, and red stems and i think a tree is a great way to mark an occasion so it's something that you'll remember forever now, question regarding rhododendrons. I planted two rhododendrons uh, two years ago and although they've grown in size, they've never flowered. They both have flower buds on them all year round but never bloomed. What might be the problem? Also, we have a question regarding a seventh same listener, uh, a laurel hedge and is it okay to use 10-10-20 for feeding it? Well, 10-10-20 can be very, very strong. Be careful with that because it is caustic and it can burn plants. Um, now, the answer is you can use it, um, but just keep it well out from the, the base of the stem. I would use a lighter fertiliser, maybe 8-8-16 or 5-5-10 if you're using an agricultural feed. It's just not as strong and it, it may not, you can do damage with, with the agricultural feeds if they go on too heavy. So just be careful with that. Or use a tree and shrub feed at the base of the laurels. Um, going back to the rhododendrons, yeah. Well, a two-year-old rhododendron, I mean, the main thing is that it's growing well. It's growing mm-hmm. healthy and mm-hmm. it's putting on new growth. And that's a good thing. Rhododendrons and many plants, hydrangeas often do it, and other plants often tend to do a lot of growing for the first couple of years, establishing new stems and new foliage at the expense of flower. The key thing with the rhododendrons to get them to flower is to feed them from about the end of June. Once they go out of flower, the typical rhododendrons go out of flower or camellias or azaleas to feed them during the growing the summer season. And again, with a high potash feed because the element of potash slows the growth down and it induces flowering in plants. And rhododendrons and camellias and azaleas and forest flame produce their flower buds during the autumn period. So it's kind of September, October, November when they're producing their little 
small Love fat pods. So look, at it's only two years on the ground. I would just leave it alone for the spring. As we come into June, get an ericaceous compost or a high potash compost uh, like Colour Boost or a rose feed and put it around the base of the uh, rhododendron a couple of times between now and autumn and you sh- you'll slow down the growth a little bit and you'll help to bring it into flower next se- season. Okay, might have to have this one as the last question of this morning, Porik, from Mary. She's setting a rockery and she's wondering if she uses chip bark, will it draw flies and does she need to use plastic under the bark? Well, ideally when you're using any material, be it bark or gravel or any of the, the um, weed suppressor material, it's a good idea to put down the membrane, not plastic. Plastic will make the soil sweat, it won't allow any air movement and if you want to feed your plant the plastic is going to stop the fertilizer from from penetrating down through. So use one of the membranes, something like Plantex or one of the soil membranes. They'll allow the soil to breathe and when you're feeding the plants, it'll allow the fertilizer to pass through the gravel or the bark down into the, the, the plants themselves. Mm. To be honest, in a rockery area, I think you're better using pea gravel. It looks better. The plants will enjoy it better. Bark is better kept to trees and shrubs and tends to blow around a bit. Whereas in a rockery situation where you're putting in dianthus or abricias, they come from the Alps. And they're used to you don't get too much bark. bark in the you Alps. You don't get too much bark in but the Alps. But you do get lots of stones. You get lots of stones. So it tends to look an awful lot better if you use nice pea gravel, wash pea gravel. The plants actually enjoy that environment as well and tend to do an awful lot better. So use the, the, the membrane and covers with pea gravel and I think you'll end up with a far nicer and uh, more dramatic effect. Remember, Monday... Yes. I'm in Roscommon in your country yes. in the Abbey Hotel You'll at be given a very warm welcome for it. Yeah, that's what I like to hear. So people are more than welcome to come along and, and I'm also in my own garden centre in Turlock this Tuesday with the Swinford Gardening Club at 7.30 I'll be kicking off with a talk and again it's a free evening so do come along OK so very busy week ahead Busy busy week ahead OK lovely stuff thanks indeed thanks, Porik uh, we'll be back again of course po- uh, got Porik back next Saturday as indeed I will myself I'll be here from 7am stand by coming your way next to Michael Neary along after 10 o'clock with this morning's country classics and Angelina Nugent is on the way next with this morning's news and weather update Until next week, have yourselves a really good weekend. Good morning to you.